In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. God willing, today we're going to study 2 Kings 9 through 11. Does anyone like to recap what uh, what we covered last time? 6 to 8. Yeah, do you know what 6 to 8 is about? Mm, Elijah. <laughs> Elijah? Elisha. So what did Elisha do? It was pers uh was it personal miracles or was that the one before? Um I think that was that was before. But um so Elisha he helped to defeat the Syrians. That was one. Do you remember how? When the people were Yeah, when he would he would warn he would warn the 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 Israelite the, the Israel the king of Israel yes. about where Yes, right? And then um, also there was the, there was the Syrians were besieging the city of Samaria, right? And what happened? The he 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 prayed that the Lord will open the eyes of the um, of his uh, of a servant servants, yeah, Gessi, and and. Then the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw that there the people who were with them were much more than the people who were against them. Yes, that and did happen, but that's not what I'm referring to. And then he blinded the. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I said so. God, God, there was remember the city of Samaria was being besieged, and what was happening in the city is all the prices were going up, right? And the people were very hungry, and then what were they doing? They were eating their children. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then Elisha said that by tomorrow, everything is going to go back to normal. And then there were these lepers at the gate, and they went out, and they found that the Syrians had gone away because God had sent them like, to hear the sound of like, an army coming, and they fled. And so they were able to, to, to pillage all of the camp of the Syrians that were around the city of Samaria and have all the food and everything that they needed again. Okay, So that was that. And then the last kind of major thing that happened is Elisha goes to Syria to anoint the next king of Syria. Do you remember his name? G? No. J? No, J those are the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. The Syrian king. So the king that was there, his name was Ben-Hadad. And then he died. How did he die? He was murdered by? The next person, who is Haziel, right? And Haziel is anointed king. And Elisha is like weeping because he sees like in his in, in like the future, he knows that Haziel is going to be afflicting the Israelites. OK, so those are kind of the main points um, that we covered last time. So if you want to hear, look at this uh, nifty chart. Um, so right now, um, Jehoram, I think we're at Jehoram and Ahaziah is the kings that we we've spoken about um, on the, in the, in the kingdom of Judah. And then Joram also. Um, remember, there were two ki two kings named Joram, one on the north and one on the south. Okay, so Joram in the north, and Jehoram or Joram in the south. Okay, <coughs> so chapter nine, and Elisha, Elisha the prophet, called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, "Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead." Now when you arrive at that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. 
and go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil, pour it on his head, and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. Okay? So um, so he went to this man um, named Jehu. And Jehu is not um, from the lineage of the king. Okay? He, was, he, was, uh, he went to him and he said... Um, uh, so he, he gave to the sons of the prophets, one of the prophets, he gave him this oil and said, go, um, go to this man Jehu. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead, and when he arrived there were the captains of the army sitting. And he said, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu uh, said, for which one of us? And he said, for you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head and said to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, uh, of the Lord over Israel. So the prophet is anointing Jehu to be the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. The dog shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. So the prophet comes, and he, give, he, he, he anoints Jehu the king. And what is the thing that God wants the, this king to do? Kill Ahab and, and Jezebel and the whole house of Ahab, the whole family of Ahab, anyone related to Ahab. Okay, is going to get killed. Then Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and one said to him, Is all well? Why did this madman come to you? Referring to the prophet. And he said to them, You know the man and his babble. And they said, A lie. Tell us now. So he said, Thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. So he went to the other servants who were the servants of the king. Okay. Um, and uh, and and he he told them like the they saw that the the prophet came and they were like what did the prophet want and he was like nothing he didn't say anything he was just he's just babbling he's like a crazy guy right but then they said no they didn't believe him and so he admitted to them that he was anointed the king then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps and they blew trumpets saying Jehu is king. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram had been defending Ramoth Gilead, he and all his, uh, Israel against Haziel, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him when he had fought with Haziel, king of Syria. So Joram, which is the current king, he is fought a battle with uh, Haziel, the newly anointed king of Syria. And he was wounded in the battle, so he went to Jezreel in order to recover. Okay, so now we're going to see that Jehu is going to go to Jezreel where the king is. Says, and Jehu said, if you are so minded, let no one leave or escape from the city to go and tell it in Jezreel. Okay, so he's saying, he's saying, um, like, don't go and notify, like, in Jezreel, what is it that is about to happen? So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram was laid up there, and Ahaziah king of Judah had come down to see Joram. So remember, Ahaziah is the son of Joram in, 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 in from Judah. So Joram I, I, of Israel is the king, and Ahaziah in Judah is the king. 
But both of them are together in the same place because they were um, they were like an alliance. So they were both together in Jezreel, Ahaziah and Joram. And Jehu, the guy who's been newly anointed king of Israel, he is coming to kill them. Now a watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came, and said, I see a company of men. And Joram said, Get a horseman, and send him to meet them, and let him say, Is it peace? So as they, as the Jehu and his, like, uh, his company were arriving at Jezreel, the, the watchman who was watching um, who was coming saw them coming, and told the king, Joram. And Joram said, What? Go send some messenger out to them to see what is it that they want. So the horsemen went to meet him and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported, saying, The messenger went back to them, but it is not coming back. So what happened? What happened? I guess Joram asked his watchman to go to Jehu and ask him, are you coming to make peace? And then? Well and he, then he asked the watcher, he, he asked the messenger. He asked the messenger. Yeah. He said, is this peace? And then Jehu said, uh, what, do you, what do you have to do with peace? Follow me. Turn around and follow me. So he didn't go back right. to send the message. So, so the messenger just joined them. Like that's a bad sign, right? So he sent the messenger and he just joins them, all right? He doesn't come back. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the second messenger also followed them. So the watchman reported, saying, He went up to them and is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously, meaning like he's, he's, he's coming at them very, very fast. Then Joram said, Make ready. And his chariot was made ready. Then Joram king of Israel and Ahaziah king of Judah went out, each in his chariot. And they went out to meet Jehu and met him on the property of Naboth the Jezreelite. Remember him? Who is that? Yeah, so he was killed by Jezebel because they wanted his vineyard. Okay. Now it happened when Joram saw Jehu that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? So he answered, what peace, as long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. <coughs> then Joram turned around and fled and said to Ahaziah, treachery, Ahaziah. Now Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Jehoram between his arms, and the arrow came out at his heart, and he sank down in his chariot. Then Jehu said, Bit Bidkar, his he said to Bitkar, his captain, pick him up and throw him into the tract of the field of, Jaboth, of Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember when you and I were riding together behind Ahab, his father, that the Lord laid this burden upon him? Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now therefore take and throw him on the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. So there was like this prophecy saying that, that, that he was going to die on the land of Naboth because of the blood that was spilled when they killed Naboth. So also his blood is going to be spilled because he's part of the house of Ahab on the same land. But when Ahaziah king of Judah saw this, he fled by the road to Beth Hagen. So, so Jesu pursued him and said, shoot him also in the chariot. 
and they shot at him at the ascent of Gur, which is by Ebliam. Then he fled to Megiddo and died there. So now we see Jehu has killed Ahaziah, the king of Judah, also. He's killed both kings. Okay. And his servants carried him in the chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his tomb with his fathers in the city of David. In the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah had become king over Judah. Okay. Uh, now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. So Jezebel is still alive now. Okay, Jehu, Je Jehu had come to Jezreel. Jezebel heard it, and she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. Then as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri murderer of your master? And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Then he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. So who is, who is he talking to? Who, who did that? The eunuchs? So he sees her up at the top, like she's like looking out the window. And so what does he ask? How does he get her to be thrown out? He talks to the servants who are the up there, who now realize that they're about to, you know, they're going to get killed if they don't cooperate. So they tell her, tell them, throw Jezebel down from the window, right? And that's what they did. They threw her, and she fell, and she died. And when he had gone in, he ate and drank. Then he said, go, go now, see to this accursed woman, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. Remember, um, she was the daughter of a Sidonian king, okay? So she, she was uh, a, a Gentile. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Therefore they came back and told him. And he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field and the plot at Jezreel, so that they shall not say, Here lies Jezebel. So she didn't get a proper burial because um, her corpse was consumed. And this was exactly what Elijah the prophet had said long ago um, uh, when he was <coughs> still alive, that this was the outcome. And maybe this, you know, sometimes we like even forget the, the prophecies and the things that God has said. Like you see um, very early on in the story in 1 Kings when, uh, when, when uh, Elijah proclaims this curse on Jezebel. And yet for many, many years it doesn't happen. Like for many years she stays alive. For many years she remains to be a queen. She remains in a powerful position. She has servants. She has everything, right? But then the day comes when the prophecy that God had, um, it, you know, had God had made is now fulfilled. And so we also sometimes we 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 know the promises of God and we know the things that God has said. But it's easy after a long period of time for us to forget those promises. Like what is it that God is God really going to do? What is it that He had promised before? Or is this something that was long past? And so it's easy for us to kind of lose ourselves in the world and the details of the world and the busyness of the world and that we have nothing to, to anchor us to the word of God unless we read the word of God often, unless we remind ourselves of the promises of God and we ask God in faith so that he would um, you know, remind us always of who he is and, and, and the path that we have in our life where we are going. So it's very important to remember God's promises. Okay, any questions about chapter 9? Okay, chapter 10. Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria, 
And Jehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria, to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders, and to those who reared Ahab's son, saying, Now as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also, and weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's sons, set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. So what does this mean? What is he telling them to do? So who's sending the letter? Jehu. Who is he sending it to? To the sons of Ahab. And what is he telling them in the letter? Choose the best one to do, to be what? Yeah, like, like choose, choose a leader, right? Choose a leader because I'm coming to fight you. And he, he, he's, he's actually, he's giving them a fighting chance. Like he's, he's telling them, uh, I'm coming to fight you. Choose a leader for yourself and defend your house, right? Like he's like doing it with confidence. Like he knows that God is granting him the victory. Maybe kind of like how Elijah also with confidence knew that God was going to send fire on his sacrifice. And so he poured water on it knowing that it was going to burn, right? And it didn't matter whether it was wet with water or not. So here also Jehu is like giving them a chance. He's saying, okay, I'm not going to just come and slaughter you. Um, pick pick a, a leader for yourself from among your house, because supposedly one of them is the king, right? Because uh, you know one of them is the rightful king. After um, you know, after the uh, Joram was killed, he is one out. The one of them is now going to be the next king. So he's saying, you know, choose choose someone. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, "Look, two kings could not stand up to him. How then can we stand?" And he who was in charge of the house, <coughs> and he who was in charge of the city. The elders also, and those who reared the sons, sent to Jehu, saying, We are your servants, we will do all you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. So they were uh, afraid to fight him. And they said, We are we're not going to fight you because we know that you are like, you know, two kings could not stand up to you. Like you are very strong and you're very powerful, right? So from those from Ahab's servants agreed to serve Jehu rather than to fight. Now this, these are the servants, right? Right. This is not the, the sons of Ahab themselves. This is the servants. So those people who were the servants of Ahab and his family, they, you know, pretty much betray them. Say, we can't we can't fight against you. Um, and so we will join you. Then he wrote a second letter to them, saying, if you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men, your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. Right. So he's saying, OK, if you are with me, then go and kill the, your masters, who are the sons of Ahab, the heirs of his house, and come and bring, bring their heads to me. Prove to me. Now the king's sons, 70 persons, were with the great men of the city who were rearing them. So it was when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons and slaughtered 70 persons, put their heads in baskets, and sent them, uh, and sent them to him at Jezreel. So it was in the morning that he went out and stood and said to all the people, You are righteous. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? Now know that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which, was, which the Lord had uh, con spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. All of this was fulfilling the curse, the prophecy that Elijah had concerning Ahab about his wickedness. Right, And again, it, it, seemed, to, it seemed for a time 
that his wickedness was prospering, that he was being successful, but in the end there is justice, and he, he was not allowed to continue. So Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel, and all his great men, and his close acquaintances, and his priests, until he left him none remaining. And he arose and departed, and went to Samaria. On the way at Beth Eked of the shepherds, Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah king of Judah, and said, Who are you? So they answered, We are the brothers of Ahaziah. We have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. So remember, who is Ahaziah? He's through marriage. Okay, but who was he? He was the king of Judah, and he was killed also by Jehu, right? So here are the brothers of Ahaziah coming to meet with Jehu. And he said, take them alive. So they took them alive and killed them at the well of Beth Eked, 42 men, and he left none of them. Now when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him and greeted him and said to him, is your heart right as my heart is toward your heart? And Jehonadab answered, it is. Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he took him up to him into his chariot. So he happened to meet this man. Okay, his name is Jehonadab, and Jehonadab was his relative. Okay, so when he's asking him about, is your heart right as my heart is toward your heart, he's saying, are you with me uh, in, 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 in wanting to, um, to, to decimate the house of Ahab? according to God's command, and he's saying yes. So he's saying, give me your hand. So he's bringing him into the chariot so that Jehonadab can help him with this uh, attack that he is that he's doing. Then he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot, and when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab and Samaria till he had destroyed them, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu served him much. No, sorry, Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. Right? Why is he saying this? To trick them. Right? So he's so from like the political sign, he's like already annihilated all of the the, the, the heirs, all the people that could become king after him. Now from the spiritual side, the religious side, okay, he is um, wanting to attract all the people who are the Baal worshippers, right? And he's, he's attracting them by saying, I am even more a Baal worshipper than, um, than Ahab, okay? So bring everyone who is the servants of Baal and the priests and everyone, okay, here. So it says, but Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshippers of Baal. And Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel, and all the worshippers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal, and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out vestments for all the worshippers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshippers of Baal, Search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshippers of Baal. So they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself eighty men on the outside and had said, If any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, 
Whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. So they're getting ready now to slaughter all of these worshippers of Baal. Now it happened as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, Go in and kill them. Let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal and burned them. Then they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. So in all of these few verses, we see the entire house of Ahab decimated, all of the priests of Baal decimated, all of the worshippers of Baal decimated, decimated, and there is like this big change that's happening now. And you th think like God could have done this at any time. You know, like what is it that needed to be done for this to happen. God sent a prophet to a man, anointed him to be king, and then that man, seemingly single-handedly, went and he did all of this, and everyone followed him, right? And even this transition, like there wasn't a war. It was just the killing of the people from the previous dynasty, and now you have like this. So what do you think of Jehu so far, in terms of like his obedience to God, in terms of like like everything that he's done? good guy it's pretty good don't mess with him yeah you want to be on his good side right so what hmm? very zealous right like very very zealous like he's it's kind of like the like joshua almost you know where god sends joshua into the promised land and he tells them go destroy all these people and he goes from from people to people from city to city and destroying and destroying destroying like very zealous for the commandment of god okay but actually we are going to see what's about to happen, okay? And one thing for us to, to, to realize and to understand when we read about any of these figures in the Bible is the Bible is not filled with heroes and villains, right? We like to think of it in those terms. We like to think of everything as like there's the good guys and the bad guys. And then we say, is this king a good guy? Is this king a bad guy? You know, and even in our lives, we think of who's the good guys and who's the bad guys. But You know, like I heard this like very nice saying, it's like nobody is a villain in their own story. Right? Like when you write your own story, you're not the villain. Like you're the victim. Like you have reasons for the things that you've done. Right? And you're, you're not the villain. Right? Maybe other people see you as the villain. But I never see myself as the villain. Right? But you'll see here that it's not all rosy with him. Okay? What, what is he going to do? However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. That is from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight, and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. So the question is, why is God rewarding him when it also said that he did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, who made Israel sin? I mean, that was the whole sin, the whole thing of the creating of these golden calves, one in Bethel and one in Dan, to, to make all of the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, instead of worshiping according to the Jewish traditions, the Jewish commandments, like the commandments of God, they are worshiping these golden calves. That was the sin of Jeroboam that he introduced right, to Israel to make all of Israel sin. Okay? So Jehu did not turn from this, meaning he was promoting this, the, the, the worship of these golden calves. And yet God is coming to him, and he says, because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight, and have done 
have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. So why is God rewarding him? You progressed? He did something good, right? Like imagine if God only rewarded you when 100% of what you did was good. You know, like 100%. Like you have to be 100% good in order to get any reward. But if you even had 1% failure, right, then you wouldn't get any reward at all. Like we would be doomed, right? So you see how God is, like again, we, we, we look at things very black and white. Right, but 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 God sees like okay, you did many good things, right? It wasn't all good. There was still sin. There was still something that shouldn't have been done. But yet God is not focusing on that as much as He's focusing on everything else that was done that was good. So even as like you have someone who is maybe like coming closer to God and closer to the church, like we should be trying to, um, like we should be trying to focus on the good things in that person, right? not pointing out all the failures of that person, but just trying to find the good things of that person and say, this person has come a long way. This person still has a ways to go, but they have come a long way. And they, God willing, by the grace of God, will continue to go in that direction and grow and be transformed more and more. And this is, this is worthy of a reward. Like the, 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 the right-hand thief, for instance, who you know, was crucified with Christ, what good had he done at that point in order to deserve to enter paradise? All he had done was the very beginning of repentance, which is the declaration. I mean, he didn't even say it. He just said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But in his heart, there was a repentance about the life that he had lived. But there was no yet opportunity for him to change anything, right? And yet God in that moment did not rebuke him for all the sins that he had done, but told him like all of the promises, all the good things that is about to happen to him, now because he has offered this repentance. So uh, Jehu, he was not the perfect king, right? He didn't do everything right, but God still rewarded him. And here it continues. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel, and Haziel conquered them in all the territory of Israel. Remember, Haziel is who? king of Syria, um, conquered them in all the territory of Israel from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, from Aror, which is by the river Arnon, <coughs> including Gilead and Bashan. So as Elisha had prophesied at the time when he anointed Haziel to be king, he knew that God was going to use Haziel as a means of punishing and rebuking the Israelites because of their sin. And so that's why it says the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel, meaning Haziel began to conquer certain territory of Israel to separate out the different tribes from one another. Okay? Now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Jehu rested with his fathers and they buried him in Samaria. Then Jehoahaz, his son, reigned in his place, and the period that Jehu reigned over I Israel in Samaria was 28 years. Okay, so that is the end of the life of Jehu. He did a lot of good, but not perfect. Okay, and Jehoahaz is his son. Now Jehoahaz is the king. Okay. Any questions so far? So 
No, I'm sure. I'm sure it took more than days and weeks. I mean, just the travel time is. Uh, but, um, but so, but but it's not. But probably it didn't take all 28 years to do all of it. But it probably took a good amount of time. I'm not sure how long. Yeah. Okay. Chapter 11. When Ataliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. Okay, I think this. Okay, this woman, Ataliah, she was the mother of Ahaziah. The Ahaziah was the king of Judah. He was killed by who? Jehu. Okay, so when she saw that her son was dead, she destroyed all the royal heirs. Who are the royal heirs? No, the sons of of Ahaziah, her grandchildren. Because remember, Jehu was for the for the north. We're t that was all for the north, right? Jehu's for the north, okay. And and Jehu killed uh, Jehoram, and all the house of Ahab, and all of that. That was all the north. All everything we just read was for the north. Now we're talking about the south, okay? Ataliah, the mother of Ahaziah, okay, saw that her son was dead. She arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. Okay? Why would she do that? Why do you think she would do that? Hmm? Why? Somebody said something. He's looking the other way. Yes, it is to take power. She wanted to be in power. Huh? Well, if there's no one else in the bloodline... Okay, so she she would be, she would be like the queen, right? But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered, and they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Ataliah, so that he was not killed. Okay, so so. She wanted to reign, and then this woman, Jehoshiba, she's the daughter of King Jehoram, okay, the stepsister of Ahaziah, okay, so the stepsister of Ahaziah um, from, her f from his father's side, according to Josephus, the historian, okay, um, saved Joash by hiding him from Ataliah for six years in the temple, okay. So Ataliah, not realizing that this boy exists, that he's still alive, was continuing to reign, right? She killed all the other heirs. She didn't realize there was any heirs left. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Ataliah reigned over the land. In the seventh year of Jehoiada, uh, in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the hundreds of the bodyguards and the escorts and brought them into the house of the Lord. And he made a, co a covenant with them and took an oath from them from the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Sorry, Father, can I? Sorry, before I'm just pretty confused. Yeah. Can you go back to Second Kings 10, verse 13? Second Kings 10, 13. Yeah. So it says, Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah, right? Yes. That is the Ahaziah whose mother just killed his sons, right? Yes. And then it proceeds to say that he killed all the brothers of 
Ahaziah, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they say, we have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother, mm-hmm. who is Athaliah. Right? Yes. Um, and then here, he gathers them and then he kills them all, right? So This is the brothers of Ahaziah, right? That he's killing. Oh, so now... Now so this the is the children of Ahaziah. Okay. This is the children. Right? No, no problem. No problem. Hmm? Okay. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. So Athaliah was the, the queen mother reigning over Judah for six years, all the while not knowing that Joash, which was the son of Ahaziah, the rightful king, was still alive. Okay. In the seventh year, Jehoiada, Jehoiada is a priest. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the hundreds, of the bodyguards and the escorts, and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. So Jehoiada, the priest, because, so remember, Joash was being hidden where? In the temple. So who is it that knew of him? The priests. So Jehoiada the priest was aware of his existence and was waiting for the appropriate time in order to take an action. Okay. So when the appropriate time came, <coughs> he, uh, he called the, like, the captains and the army and the bodyguards and the people he could trust. Okay. And he told them, he had them make a, a covenant, a, a promise, an oath that, that, um, that they are not going to go and do anything with this information. Like they're not going to go and, and, and tell the queen that, that this boy is alive. Okay. And they showed them the king's son. So now they realize that the rightful heir is not the king. Er, is, is who's supposed to be the king is not, is not Athaliah the, the queen. Then he commanded them saying, this is what you shall do. One third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall be keeping watch over the king's house. One-third shall be at the gate of Sur, and one-third at the gate behind the escorts. You shall keep the watch of the house, lest it be broken down. Okay? So so she's breaking them, or he's breaking them up into groups, because once it's revealed that the king's son is alive, there is going to be chaos, right? There's going to be like a rebellion that's going to happen. And and so the, the, the priest here is preparing all of the army to be in like key locations around, so that they can quell any uprising or any rebellion that happens. The two contingents of you who go off duty on the Sabbath shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord for the king. But you shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hand. And whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king as he goes out and he comes in. Okay? So they're, they're going to be surrounding the king, and anyone who approaches is going to be immediately put to death. So the captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. Each of them took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave the captains of the hundreds the spears and shields which had belonged to King David that were in the temple of the Lord. Then the escort stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, all around the king, from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple by the altar and the house. And he brought out the king's son, 
put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. They made him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. What is the testimony? No. Hmm? Yes. The law, right? It was the law. So, so the, the whenever a king would be a, 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 a like a new king would be coronated or anointed, okay, they would give them the law of Moses to indicate that he's going to rule the people according to this law. Okay, he's going to rule the people according to the law. Now, when Ataliah heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. When she looked, there was the king standing by a pillar according to custom and the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. So Ataliah tore her clothes and cried out, Treason, treason! Okay. And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the army, and said to them, Take her outside under guard and slay, and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. So they seized her. And she went by way of the horse's entrance into the king's house, and there she was killed. Okay, so they killed Ataliah, the grandmother of Joash, who was the rightful heir to Ahaziah. All the names. Okay. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, uh, between the Lord, the king, and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. The king was only seven years old. And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. Why was this here? Didn't they already do this before? That's right. See, this is a different kingdom. That was a trick question. Right, so before in the kingdom of Israel, this is when they destroyed all the Baal worshippers. Who who destroyed it? Jehu. Okay, but here this is the, the southern kingdom. They still had Baal worshippers. Okay, so they all the people went and they tore down all of the the Baal worshippers. They killed the priest of Baal before the altar. Okay, and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. Then he took the captains of the hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and went by the gate of the escorts, uh, the gate of the escorts to the king's house. Then he sat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had slain Ataliah with the sword in the king's house. Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. Yeah, he was very young. Yeah, he was very young. I think he was just born, actually. I don't know. That is, uh, okay, yeah, so he was one year old. Yeah. Okay. Any questions about this chapter? Or any of the chapters? There was a lot of killing. Yeah. How how do we reconcile God being a loving God when he's having his priests and his kings go and go through these killing sprees? It's a good question. 
<laughs> so everything changed actually like after the after the coming of the Holy Spirit everything changed right because when when the people receive the Holy Spirit it is the spirit of God in them that is directing and guiding them to do the right thing whereas in the Old Testament the people didn't have the Holy Spirit directing them and and so the way that they were being directed was directly through prophets right which is essentially God is telling the prophets or telling the people directly and the prophets are telling the people this is what God wants you to do so God had very like specific uh, outcomes that he wanted like he would he, 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 he would everything everything that was done in the Old Testament was like a physical act that had like a spiritual meaning that would be discovered later so for instance even when you talk about like burnt offerings okay the burnt offerings are physical offerings physical sacrifices that are being done for the forgiveness of sins but those were not the real forgiveness of sins the the the, the, the real sacrifice was the sacrifice of Christ the idea that God takes judgment on, let's say, the house of Ahab, and he says um, the, the consequence of the sin of Ahab is slaughter, is, you know, your bones are going to be eaten by dogs, and you're not going to have a burial, and you're going to have that. Well, the, the only way that the people understood at the time the idea of justice and, and judgment was through these types of acts. There was no sense of spiritual... Like, like, there was no sense of spiritual judgment. There was no sense of eternal death. There was no concept in their mind of, like, there is an, an, an eternal life and eternal damnation and, and as we see it now. Like, we see now that even if a person is not, um, like, a person who is wicked is prospering in their life and they see no consequence to any of their sin, we believe that there will be consequence to them in the afterlife. Like, God will judge, right? So we see the justice of God whether it be in this life or in the next life, because we have a spiritual perception and understanding of the world and of reality. Whereas in the Old Testament, they didn't see this. For instance, what is it that God, how is it that God would um, reward people in the Old Testament? Well, he would tell them, you'll have many children and you will live a long life. Because for them, the physical things are the only things, right? So when, when there is the idea of God wants to demonstrate that he is just, that he is a God of justice, how does he how how does he act to demonstrate that justice well it's through killing the wicked that is the idea of justice in the minds of the people today we don't see that there has to be the killing of the wicked in order for there to be justice because we know that there is justice there's eternal justice that is going to happen and we understand that because we've received the holy spirit and we have a, a spiritual perception and a spiritual worldview of things that the people in the old testament didn't have does that make sense? Follow up. Yes. Does God punish children for the sins of their parents? No. So why did they kill 70 of Ahab's children? And I assume they were children because it said they were being reared. Yes. Well, again, what is punishment? Define it. This case, murder, death. <laughs> <laughs> well, was it was it that there ch was it that God was punishing those children, or was it that the consequence of the sin of Ahab was that his entire house would be killed? Right. It's it's not to say that any of those children, um, in the eyes of God, are wicked. Right. They're not wicked, but they're 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 caught up in a consequence of someone else's sin. Just like I can commit a sin that would affect everyone. 
right? And it's hurting people, but it's not their fault. It's my fault, right? Th but it's hurting them. So just because someone is being adversely affected because of something doesn't mean it is a punishment on them specifically. Like think about like natural disasters, right? Like God could, cho could choose to stop natural disasters if he wanted. But when he allows a natural disaster to happen, and there's many, many people that are suffering because of it, is that because God is exercising judgment on all of those people? It's not. But it is a natural consequence of the fallen world and the fallen nature that we are here, right? So it is, I'm suffering because of the consequence of something else. And that's exactly what's happening here. You know, when, 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 someone is, when someone is being punished, like even in other stories, like when we read about like in the book of Joshua, when we're talking about Achan, Achan is the man who stole like the, the accursed items from the city of Jericho, okay? And because he stole it, God was not with the people um, when they went to fight in the city of Ai, right? And so Joshua cried out to God, he said, God, why are you not with us? And he said, well, because someone has taken of the accursed items. And then once they f discovered who is it who took the accursed items, which is Achan, what did they do? They stoned him and his wife and his kids and everything he had. Well, was it his kid's fault? It wasn't, right? But again, there is a difference between the physical and the spiritual. Just because a child was stoned, um, in this case, according to, to demonstrate the severity of sin that God wanted to demonstrate, it doesn't mean that that child is necessarily going to go to hell, right? So it, it's, it's, it's the way that people perceived God and perceived the, 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 the spiritual things in the Old Testament wasn't like the way we perceive them and understand them now. They didn't have any spiritual insight like we have now. Everything had to be a physical consequence or physical reward. There was nothing else. Hmm. Well, the covenants are eternal, but even the symbol of the covenant, what was the symbol of the covenant? Circumcision, which is a physical act, right? Whereas the, 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 the symbol of the new covenant is baptism, which is a spiritual act. Like even though there is a physical action that's done in baptism, like going into the water, but the actual work of baptism is a spiritual act, right? So, so, so even in the New Testament, when God makes a promise, right, it is a promise that is a spiritual one as opposed to being a physical one. Even in the Old Testament, how is it that Abraham understood the covenant? Well, he said, you are going to be the father of many nations and, you know, your, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. That's what Abraham understood. He didn't understand beyond that. He just said, oh, I'm going to have a lot of kids. You know, like that was, I'm going to be a nation. So even in the mind of Abraham, what was God giving him? A physical reward. But the reality of it is, no, it's not just that you're going to be a, a physical ancestor of many people. It's going to be that through you is going to come the Messiah. And the Messiah is going to be a spiritual savior to bring salvation to the world. And that was actually the most significant part of the whole covenant. But Abraham didn't understand that at the time. But we in the New Testament look back at it, we say, no, we understand. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Physical king versus spiritual king. So, so everything about the Jewish religion is very much about the physical things. That's why they are so, like even when it comes to the law, right, like they are so meticulous when it comes to the physical law about the physical things because they believe that that is what God intended. Whereas in the Christianity, we say not by according to the letter, but by the spirit, meaning we understand the law, but through a spiritual lens, 
that there, there is a reason why God wanted us to be this way for a deeper reason than just the physical reason itself. That's why even, like, there's a, I can't remember now, Psalm 136. Psalm 136 in the Agbeah, where King David is talking about taking the infants uh, of, of Babylon and dashing them on the rocks. And people read that and they're like very offended to that. Like we're going to take the babies and we're going to dash them on the rocks. But this was, this has a spiritual, we understand it in a spiritual way, not in a physical way. That he wasn't talking about babies. The infants represent the beginning of sin. Like the, the starting point of sin. And it's like, like we're asking God to destroy sin at its root. Like from the very beginning, before it starts. Right? So, Again, the, the Old Testament has a lot of violence in it, for sure. Um, but it's not to say that God was more violent in the Old Testament than he is in the New. It's just to say that the judgment of the wicked is more clear in the Old Testament than it is in the New. Like if, we, if God could open up, you know, his judgment seat and allow us to see, you know, who is being judged now, we would see a lot of people being judged. They died immediately on the spot. Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah, like like there every once in a while God wants to take like a certain a certain uh, event and make an example of it. Right? Like he wants us to see like he wanted the people in the early church to see no, the idea of lying to the Holy Spirit is like very, very, very bad and and you shouldn't do it. So he gave this example of them falling dead on the spot. It doesn't mean that they were only ones that lied. There could have been very well other people who lied in the exact same way that they did, right? But it was an example, right? It was to show. But it doesn't mean that God is actually judging them more harshly than he would judge anyone else because he is fair in his judgment. Like he's not saying this specific couple, I'm going to judge them this way and everyone else is going to judge that way. But he made it clear for us, like for the, for the purpose of us to see. Any other questions? Any other questions? Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessings in all things, and we ask that you be with us, and you strengthen us, and you help us to learn all the lessons that we can learn from your scripture, and from the Old Testament, and from the book of the Kings. We thank you, O Lord, for your mercy. We thank you also for your judgment. We thank you for your law. We thank you because you give us, O Lord, a direction and a path in our life to follow. We ask that you give us strength to fight against the enemy and all evil attacks against us, and that as the holy 50 days are ending, we ask, O Lord, that we contemplate and meditate on the power of your resurrection and to prepare ourselves for the coming fast and all of the work of your apostles that they have done in the church to establish it, O Lord, for the salvation of all your people. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints here as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from the evil one in Christ Jesus our Lord for thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever and ever amen the love of God the Father the grace of the only begotten Son our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ the communion the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all go in peace the peace of the Lord be with you all amen